<laughs> you can definitely see each of our personalities through the video that we showed before we started. Jay Gray, when we were going through the meetings, he's like, we need to find a video of like a cheetah. It's just like running something down and just like pure athleticism just dives onto it, takes it out. Jason and I go out to lunch and he's talking about for his week. He's like, we, we need to take that cheetah video. And then all of a sudden at the last second, a shark comes out and just bites a seal. And then for me, it's a dude getting chased by a cow screaming his brains out. It's, this is our personalities. But I love this series so far. Uh, how many of y'all have enjoyed it so far? Chasing the heart of God. We've been going through this the past couple of weeks and we've really been diving into the life of David. And just, we've seen high moments, like when he slays the giant, he kills Goliath and saves the entire nation of Israel. We've seen low moments when he meets up with Bathsheba, ends up falling into sin, ends up murdering her husband and that train of events. And then we've got this week. This week's a different, a different subject. This is, we're gonna be talking about a story that most of you guys may not have heard of. Like a lot of people haven't actually heard of this story. It's uh, one that's well known about uh, through Bible colleges and stuff like that. We like to make fun of it and stuff like that, but it's, it's a different passage. So there's not gonna be like him slaying a giant in it. It's, it's a normal life moment and it's really cool. So the passage we're gonna be in today is 2 Samuel. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter six. So if you've got your Bible, open up there. We'll have it on the screen as well. So 2 Samuel chapter six, and I'm gonna start reading in verse 14 and we're gonna dive straight in. So in verse 14, this is what, what it says. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the horn. So David doesn't kill a giant. David doesn't murder anybody. David dances. He strikes a pose. He, and, it, and he's not just dancing. It's not like he's going out there and doing the whole white per person thing. He's like, lip. Nay, nay. Like, he's not doing that. Like, he's like mosh pitting around this thing. Like, it says he's dancing with all of his might. He's like doing that whole, oh, like, just like going for it. He's rocking it, and he's getting super into it. It goes on to say he's dancing so hard uh, in the story, once you read on a few verses, that when they get to the gates of Israel, his wife looks out and sees him, and she's, it says she was disgusted with him. She dis was disdained by him. He's dancing that hard. And when she comes face to face with him after he gets done, he's coming to bless his house. And she's like, oh, how glorious was the king of Israel today, dancing for all the, like, it, it was crazy. Like, he's going at it. And there's one huge question that we have to ask with this passage, okay? Why was he dancing? Why was he dancing? And the key is in uh, verse 15. It says in verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord. It's that ark of the Lord. How many of you guys have ever seen Indiana Jones? Anybody? Okay, we got some, some cultured people in the house. Indiana Jones, one of my favorite movies in the world. Um, the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Harrison Ford comes out on the scene and he's looking for the ark of the covenant. And they're going all over the world looking for this thing. And the ark of the covenant was a massive deal to the people of Israel. It was a huge deal because this is what it was. Moses goes up, okay, they've just left Egypt and they're on the exodus to the promised land and while they're going, Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai. He spends 40 days and 40 nights there and he get, God gives him the 10 commandments, the 10 laws that the people of Israel should be able to keep and he comes down and then they make him mad so he breaks the 10 commandments and then he has to go right back up the mountain, get a new set, come back down and they take this new set of the 10 commandments and they build a golden box Okay, big golden box, and they put those in it. They put manna from heaven in it. They put the different 
um, ordinances of like a Passover dinner and they put all these things on top of it. And on top of this box, they put a lid and it's got two angels that are like, have their wings pointing in, just like this. And that was called the mercy seat. And they carried this thing with them wherever they went. No matter wherever they went, they were carrying this thing. You'd have guys in front, guys in behind, they'd be holding it by those different rods and they'd be walking with it. And the crazy thing is, if anybody touched that, if anybody touched the ark, they'd die on contact. Earlier in chapter six of 2 Samuel, you actually see a guy named Uzzah, he touches it on accident, like the cart that they were carrying this thing on stumbled and it's about to fall out, so he reaches out to keep it steady. But because he touches it, he dies. Because this thing for the people of Israel, what it represented and what it actually was, that thing was the presence of God. That was how they had contact with God. The mercy seat is where God's presence would come and rest upon so that they could cleanse the sins of the entire nation. It was so holy, so set apart, that they would build this little chamber, this tabernacle, and they'd put a six inch thick cloth in front of it. And only one person was allowed to go through it once a year. They would walk into this cloth and they would have to have bells and all kinds of stuff all over their clothes so that they could make sure that they were still alive. Like the high priest would walk in, he'd be terrified because he's like, did I purify my sin correctly? Did I purify my sin correctly? And like you'd hear the jingles going down and if it stopped jingling, that meant he, fall, he fell over and he was dead. So they also had a rope on his ankle and they'd pull him out. Because if you came into the presence of God without the proper heart, because God is so holy, when you come into the presence of God, you can't take it. His wrath just comes upon you. That's why every single time you see somebody see Jesus in his glorified state, or anytime somebody comes face to face with God in the Old Testament, every single time you see it, they get terrified and they fall down on their face and they're like, oh my gosh, I've seen God. I've seen God, I deserve to die. You realize how sinful you are. That was the presence of God. Not only that, it showed the power of God. It showed God's sovereign grace upon the nation of Israel. Every time they took this thing in the battle, they were dominating. They would walk into battle and they would have this thing out in front of them. And if they brought the Ark of the Covenant, that meant they were going to win the battle. All through the book of Joshua, you see this happen over and over and over again. They'd walk with the Ark of the Covenant around the walls of Jericho and the walls would just fall down. It was nuts, but something changed. You, you see this in 1 Samuel chapter four, and it's talking about how the nation of Israel, after, coming, after the book of Judges, where they constantly turn away from God and they constantly worship other gods, all these things, the Jewish people had broken the covenant that they had with God. So they go into battle, not, their heart's not in the right spot, and they're getting beat badly. It's like a basketball game, you're getting beat by 40 points, they're getting massacred, and they're losing horribly, and they're like, Oh yeah, we got the Ark of the Covenant. We can bring it out, we automatically win. So it actually talks about them bringing the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it out in front of everything. And it says the earth shook with the battle cry from the men of Israel. They saw this thing and they got so pumped up. It was like, we're automatically gonna win now. But then they lost. God allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be taken by the Philistines. So the presence of God was taken away from the Israelites. And it spent the next 40 or so, 50, 60 years in the land of the Philistines. No longer could the Israelite people make sacrifices. No longer could they take their sins and give them to God 
and wash themselves clean because the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence was gone. And the entire time the Ark of the Covenant was in the land of Philistines, like they would put it in like temples to show the superiority of the Philistine gods and then the, the statues would like fall over and their hands would break off and like plagues would hit and like all this stuff. And the Ark of the Covenant's getting passed around the Philistine country and it's just wreaking havoc on the whole country. But one of the things happens, you have David, a person that even in his good moments, he's seeking God, and even in his bad moments, he's still running after God. You have that man becoming king, and God is honoring every single thing that he does, and he goes to war with the Philistines, and he wins, and he gets the Ark of the Covenant back. He gets it back. He gets the presence of God back for his people. So he's bringing this thing and for once in his life, he's, going, he's seen this thing, this thing of legend that he's never been able to lay eyes on. And he's bringing back salvation to his people. He's feeling the presence of God. He can see it, he can sense it, and he's so overcome with emotion. He doesn't know what to do, so he, he just starts dancing. Have y'all ever had that moment when you get so pumped up about something, you just, yes, and you just start freaking out and you get super pumped up. That's what David's in. Like, it's almost like one of those like Native American documentaries that you see where you're like, hunting, and you're like running around the thing. You have these guys that are carrying it. Like six dudes are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they're walking for miles just carrying this thing. The entire time, David is jumping, running, dancing all around them the entire time. He's like, hey, you got trumpets, dance, sing, let's go, let's go. And he's getting them pumped up and he's freaking out. So much so that his wife is just like, what in the world is he doing? He's excited. And the thing is, the answer to that question, I asked, why was David dancing? He was worshiping. David in that moment was worshiping God in the best way that he knew how. He, he had no other way. He, he was so engulfed with being around God, was so just emphatically joyful that the only thing he knew how to do was just dance. So he danced. And you see at the end of the chapter, his wife is calling him out. And David looks at her, he's like, I don't care. She's like, you look like a dumb person. He's like, I don't care. It's dancing for God. And as long as God's there, I'm gonna dance. It's, one of the, it's kind of a moment, you could take that and make it super dramatic, put some music behind it. I'm gonna dance. It was kind of that moment. He's like, I don't care. She's, she brings up like the servant girls and how the king was like, he took off his royal robe and put on this ephod thing, this linen ephod, this weird priestly garb, and he's dancing in it. She's like, what do they think? He's like, I don't care what they think. I'm worshiping God. And the thing that that makes me think of, um, the question that I asked was what's worship? Truly, like, when you think about it, what is worship in a nutshell? And so I Googled it, as most millennials do. You Google things. And there's a, there a quote by a guy named John Frame that I thought was really good. So I've got it on the screen, and we're gonna go through it. But it says, redemption is this. Redemption is the means. Worship is the goal. In one sense, worship is the whole point of everything. 
It is the purpose of history, the goal of the whole Christian story. Worship is not one segment of the Christian life among others. Worship is the entire Christian life, seen as a priestly offering to God. And when we meet together as a church, our time of worship is not merely a preliminary to something else. Rather, it is the whole point of our existence as the body of Christ. Worship is everything. Like when we come in here and we talk about we're, we're gonna go into worship, worship isn't just us sitting in chairs listening to music. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. I want you guys to get that. Stay with me. Worship isn't just music. He didn't have instruments when he started worshiping. You don't need a guitar to worship. You need your heart. Worship is an action. It's a choice. It's a mindset. It's you choosing to worship a God who's worthy of it. And I see David in this moment. He's running after the presence of God. He's running after it. And I brought this chair up here. So often when we think of worship, we uh, think of different postures and stuff. And for me, what I do, like if I come in this room and I sit down where you guys are at, like on Sundays and different things, the moments when I'm truly worshiping, a lot of times if you look at me, I'm doing this. I almost am like curled into a ball. And the reason it's, it's a heart thing. A lot of times, my mindset, I tend to be a people pleaser. I tend to worry about what everybody around me is thinking and I, I, I get thoughts like, I'm a pastor, they're gonna look at me and wanna know how I'm worshiping and like, I, I just get so many thoughts running in my head and a lot of times the only thing I have to do, I have to put my body in this position. I just try to curl up where nobody can see me. I sit in the back over in that side every single time and I just go, God, clear my mind. Let me focus on you. And I will do this, and I'll have my hands out, and eventually as I start getting into it, you'll start seeing me sway back and forth. And eventually when my mind is right, and I'm focused totally on him, you'll see me stand up. For some of you guys, worship, like some people, they're up, their hands are out, their eyes are closed, and they're belting it as loud as they can. For some people, when they're worshiping, the thing that gives them, and they're glorifying God, they're reading the lyrics and they're thinking about how it applies to their Christian life and they're processing it. And it's running in their heads over and over and over again. Each of those is worship. For some people, when they're worshiping, they're playing football. And when they hit somebody, they're hitting them for the glory of God. It's true. For some people, there's a, a video that Craig uh, played a few years ago in worship. He was talking about this runner that was in the Olympics. And when he was running, which is something I hate to do, but he's running and his head back is back, like runners are supposed to have a strict form. This guy's running back and he's just overflowing with joy while he's running because he's using that running as an act of worship. You can worship while doing dishes. You can do dishes for the glory of God. You can worship by obeying your parents. Everything you do can be an act of worship. Whether it's dancing, whether it's singing, no matter what. Because here's the thing. It's really where I want you guys to knock in on. David was dancing because for the first time in his life, 
He had the Ark of the Covenant near him and he could dance in the presence of God. They didn't have that. We've got that. We don't need to wait for a golden box to be in the presence of God because Jesus came down for us. He lived that life that we were supposed to live, that perfect life that he was without sin. He died that death that we deserved. He went into the grave that was built for us and then rose from that grave conquering death so that we could have a relationship with him, so that the Holy Spirit could indwell us and infiltrate our hearts so that he could guide us wherever we go, so that we could talk to him whenever we need to, so that we can boldly approach the throne. We don't have to go to contact with God while wearing jingle bells and a rope around our ankle. We can boldly approach the throne because of Jesus, because he loved us that much. We can worship him with every single thing that we do. Now, for the rest of you guys, I want you to look up at me. All right. We're about to worship some more. We're about to hit that moment where you've gone through your whole week and you've been honoring God with your schoolwork. You've been honoring God with your sports. You've been honoring God with how you've been living your life. And this is that moment where we come together as a group, as a church. And together we've got our band, we've got Chris, we've got Anthony, we've got the rest of our students that come up here. And as a group, we're gonna worship. So band, as you guys start coming up, I want you guys to worship. I want you to think about the words that you're saying. And if that means your hands go up, put your hands up, praise him. If that means you've gotta focus, you've gotta sit down, you've gotta get your mind right before you can get into it, do it. Do it, get your mind right. Make sure that you're not caring about anybody else. I want you guys to have a heart like David. I want you to chase that heart of worship. Where when your friends are like, why are you so into this? You're like, because I love Jesus. They say you're weird, go, I don't care. I love Jesus. Worship him. Spend that time with him. Take that step. Honor him for who he is and for what he's done.